Personally, I still like to go Canada trade. I'm still bullish on equities over the long term. But over the last couple of weeks, you know, four to six weeks, it definitely looks like the market is taking a little bit of risk off the table. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The Federal Reserve soothed markets this week when Chairman Jay Powell announced the central bank's intention to keep interest rates low until 2023. The announcement poured cold water on inflation concerns and set the stage for further gains in an equity market that's already pushing record highs. In today's episode, Chris Heeks, Chris McKaney, and Mark Rays discuss which ETFs can help investors take some risk off the table and settle in for the long haul. Our experts also explore the investment impact of the Delta COVID variant, ESG values, and more. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Good morning, and welcome to our BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO GAM Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for that, and as well, thanks for any questions as we progress on the call. Today, we're joined by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk covering a broad swath of solutions, including equities, fixed income, and derivative-based ETFs. Let's get right into things. And I'd like to start with the recent work through the Fed, where, of course, the last meeting just caused some anxiety in markets. We did get a bit of a bounce back yesterday. Uh, Can you comment on market impacts and search travel from both equity through to fixed income but as well currency, considering the pullback of the Canadian dollar. And if I was challenged to challenge you to pick one ETF to weather through any potential volatility, uh, what would you point towards? Thanks. Sure, I could take that one. So, yeah, a little bit of a surprise last week at the Fed meeting. Um, the Fed came in a little bit more hawkish than the market had anticipated. So, um, you know, from my, from my opinion, you know, from my stance, I think the Fed had to do what it had to do. Um, It basically signaled to the market that it had inflation under control. So um, over the last three to four months, as inflation has has slowly ticked up or ticked up rather quickly, rather, um, you know, the Fed's narrative has always been, you know, the the inflation uh, has been due to, you know, either the base effect or any kind of real inflation is going to be transitory in nature. So when you look at CPI numbers over the last three months, it's it's ticked up from 2.6 percent to uh, 5 percent in May. Uh, what's more alarming to me is the PPI numbers, uh, which has come in at 9.5% and then 8.7% over the last two months. Um, you know, why that's more alarming to me is because I think, you know, as demand has been relatively locked down over the last year, um, you know, a lot of the producers haven't been able to pass on those higher costs to the end consumer. But now, obviously, as we head into reopening, um, you know, the producers are going to be able to pass on those costs more effectively to the end consumer. So, you know, over the next couple of months, I wouldn't be surprised to see CPI a little bit higher. Um, so I think the Fed, uh, they essentially want to get ahead of that. 
Um, they want to show that they were serious about fighting inflation. So I think the Fed right now, they have a difficult balance where um, they can't really hike interest rates, given that the, uh, you know, the economic recovery isn't solidified yet. Uh, doesn't sound like they want to taper yet, neither. Um, so essentially what they did was they hiked rates or they said they were going to hike rates twice in 2023. So they gave the impression that they were going to tighten uh, without really disrupting the current economic recovery. So again, you know, I think the Fed had to do what it had to do. Uh, when you look at the equity market, the bond market, um, definitely had a reactionary move um, just ahead of that Fed meeting. <clears throat> so when you uh, when you look at the uh, the bond market and, and the equity market, it definitely you know when you look at it, it basically recovered by Monday. So there's no real real impact there. Uh, where you did see a more of a significant move was uh, the U.S. dollar. Um, especially relative to the Canadian dollar. So, you know, as we mentioned on the call, I think it was two weeks ago, where, you know, the Canadian dollar has basically been on a one-way move since last March. Um, our view has always been, you know, the Canadian dollar would rally into uh, the third quarter, maybe your early fourth quarter, when the Fed uh, would probably start signaling to the market that they would start tapering uh, later on in the year. Uh, but on the Fed, uh, you know, in the Fed meeting last week, uh, we saw the U.S. dollar rally all the way to uh, 125 uh, versus the Canadian dollar. Um, but over the last couple of days, it's starting to fade. So I think, you know, dollar 25 is where the resistance level was. Um, so if it reached above that level, I think there would have been a lot of technical buying. But, you know, right now it still looks like the Canadian dollar rally uh, that we've been seeing over the last year. It's still intact for the time being. Um, I think over the next meeting, which is scheduled for July, um, I don't think the Fed is going to say anything new. Uh, potentially, they say something about tapering in, in at their September meeting, uh, but it should be a relatively quiet summer uh, on the central bank front, at least for you know the next meeting. But I think you know anybody looking for the uh, U.S. dollar strengthening, I think you know two things that they should be looking at: uh, commodity strength. Uh, I think if commodities continue to remain strong, uh, that should be a headwind for the U.S. dollar, um, and I think. Uh, if you look at the technicals, if it were to breach above that technical resistance, you could get a lot of technical buying uh, for the time being. But, you know, as I mentioned, I think the Canadian dollar over the long term, uh, the, the trend for the time being still looks intact. Uh, but to answer your question in terms of ETFs, the weather volatility, um, I, I, you know, I'm going to cheat a little bit and, and give you two ETFs. Uh, personally, I still like to go Canada trade. I, 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 I'm still bullish on, on equities over the long term. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, you know, four to six weeks, it definitely looks like the market is taking a little bit of risk off the tables. Uh, when you look at you know, the valuations of the broader uh, equity markets in general, it, you know, we've, we've all talked about that. Uh, it's trading at a little bit of a premium right now. It looks a little bit rich. So I think the market and investors in general are, are just looking for you know, earnings per share to catch up with uh, some of the, the higher prices that we've seen in the equity market. So I think you know, for the time being, if you want to take a little bit of risk off the table, but you still want to remain equitized, I think that'll be, uh, which is our low volatility Canadian equity ETF. Uh, that's a good one to look at. When you look at the, when you look at the volatility level on that one, it's about 7.4 volatility versus uh, the 9.5 volatility of ZCN. Um, and if you want to look at U.S. equities, uh, ZUQ.F, I think, is a good one to look at. Uh, that one focuses on quality uh uh, equities, so uh, essentially blue chip companies. So even though it's underperformed over the last year, uh, if you look at the relative performance over the S&P 500 
over the last month, it's starting to break out. So those are, you know, two two good ones to look at uh, if you are concerned about short-term volatility. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. And we'll let you off the hook picking two instead of one because those are both great choices. Now, we've heard about the Fed and thinking about inflation, um, but as a broader question, we've been getting some comments and questions in from advisors on the rise of COVID variants and what that could mean for the economy and perhaps a rougher fall than we're all hoping for. Does that give you reason to question market highs for our levels and optimism still valid? Can you put this in the context of ETFs with ZSP or S&P 500 ETF? Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, um, you know, I think it's something we have to keep in context. And, um, you know, as equity investors, I think having a longer term um, longer term vision and window and plan sticking to the plan. I think that's all key, but uh, yeah, let's start with COVID. I, you know, I saw that same quote. I think you're referencing Boris Johnson uh, yesterday warning of a rough winter, you know, due to the Delta variant. And I think that was a quote that absolutely no one wants to see uh, whatsoever. We've had certainly enough of the, you know, rough, rough spring uh, so far. So, uh, we'll see. And Trudeau mentioned, you know, he's looking at that Delta variant and it could be impacting when the U.S.-Canada border reopens and travel restrictions. Um, you know, the rhetoric aside, you know, things are looking pretty good on the COVID front. Uh, most regions are coming down. You know, India, which we talked about a couple months ago, which was, you know, quite high on the, um, you know, it's getting a lot of press. Um, India cases have come down significantly. I think where you're seeing pockets of COVID still kind of, um, you know, active, you know, I look at Latin America, you know, certain emerging markets. Um, if you look at Brazil and Colombia, there's still some some COVID in that region. You know, it seems to me that there's a pretty strong correlation between where the vaccines are getting, um, you know, into the arms of people versus the number of cases. Um, and the silver lining there is, you know, there's a pretty good global program that's, that's shaping up to donate vaccines globally. So the COVAX um, I believe the U.S. donated one billion. Was it a billion? You know, almost a billion. Maybe it was 500 million um, vaccines. There, Canada's doing a significant donation, and those those vaccines are going to go to the places that need it the most. So, you know, that's a silver lining there. I think you know, we want to. You know, we, we've always been uh, cautiously optimistic, and we I think we continue to be. And hopefully, Boris Johnson's warning of a rough winter uh, certainly doesn't come to pass. Um, you know, circling back to, you know, the impact on markets, I think, um, you know, like Alfred said, it's it's still, I you know, I, I agree with him. I don't think, you know, a big, you know, um, hawkish move by the Fed is coming anytime soon. They seem to be in the camp of more transitory based inflation, you know, saying it's, you know, to kind of just due to the reopening as opposed to a massive secular trend that's going to cause a lot of interest rate hiking um, over over the next while. Um, so, you know, in terms of, of really being concerned, I, I don't think we're uh, quite there yet. You know, if I think if you're a, you're an investor, you're looking for growth. Um, I think equities is the place where you're going to continue to get uh, that growth in your portfolio. And we always talked about equities is where you get growth in your portfolio. Um, so, you know, I think in terms of long term drivers, you know, on that one to five year basis, um, you know, we're you know, I, I agree with Alfred still certainly bullish on equities. You know, looking at valuations, you know, I think it's you have to be willing to look out a year or two. Uh, there's still some COVID effects. So if you look at the PE of ZSP, S&P 500 ETF, it's at 30 right now. Obviously, that's a high number. 
but next year, if you look at next year's earnings, it's 20. If you look at two years out, it's 18. So um, like we discussed uh, on another podcast, the sticker shock uh, does come down. You know, I think from an investor point of view, I think you just want to be prudent right now. You know, you, you, you realize that equities is a place that's going to provide growth in your portfolio. You know, I certainly wish I could time the market as I, as I think probably all of our listeners, um, you know, wish that we could do. But, you know, I think the, 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 the more uh, realistic approach to investing is just being prudent, sticking to your asset allocation. You know, I certainly don't think it's time now to be greedy and really extend and overextend into risk. Um, you know, typically, um, you know, sometimes you see that activity from a behavioral point of view that, you know, as Warren Buffett says, be be fearful when others are greedy. You know, the greedy aspect is a little bit high right now. So I would I would say don't be greedy, but but at the same time, you know, be prudent, stick to your asset allocation. You know, in terms of filling out a core exposures that SP is a great tool for investors. And, and you know, you could do a lot worse. You know, if you look at those Diva numbers. So those are S&P numbers that show the performance of ZSP versus active managers. You know, if you go over a three, five, 10 year span, you know, I don't have the number, but ZSP outperforms, you know, 95% plus uh, of the time um, comes at an eight, eight basis points fee. So, you know, it's a great tool to get exposure to, you know, really some of the best companies in the world that are, are listed in the U.S. And then just on terms of the currency side, ZSP is unhedged and you know, as Alfred said, I, you know, I think, um, you know, tactically we're at a little bit of a low on USD here. It's bouncing back perhaps. Um, but maybe the bigger picture than a tactical point of view is, you know, just having some U.S. dollars in your portfolio, we always feel is a, is a good thing to have. It's a good diversifier. You know, if risk does come back into the market, typically that'll be beneficial for USD. So it'll provide a partial hedge you know, if there's an equity sell-off. So yeah, ZSP is a great tool. I think, yeah, the key, the key message I think is focus on your long-term goals, figure out the asset allocation that's right for you. And I think ZSP can be a great tool to achieve your investment objectives. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Now with the strong performance this year, we've also been getting questions on how ESG has been holding up, you know, certainly noticing uh, the rise of oil in particular. Can you give us your outlook on energy, but plus explain using ESGA, our, our Canada MCI ESG Leaders ETF, how, how that index construction helps it to keep exposed to energy and keep up with the market? Thanks. Yeah, the index construction we utilize, so you know, we have, we've got three um, main core ESG ETFs. Actually, we have more than that, but we, you know, I'll speak to the Canadian, the U.S., and the EP. Um, you know, we utilize, we utilize a uh, portfolio construction um, through MSCI that really, um, you know, I'd characterize it as trying to be better, not trying to be perfect, and, and also having a sense of where the index is and understanding, you know, uh, many of our clients want to tilt towards ESG, but also don't want to differ substantially from the index. Um, so it's a, it's a sector neutral approach, meaning that in Canada, if energy is 20% of the index, you know, this, our ESG is also going to have close to 20%. You know, the difference with our ESG approach is uh, we look for essentially the top half of, you know, of the ESG rated companies. So if we take the energy sector as an example, break it down um, and score each company on an ESG ranking, we want to hold ESG companies in this index that are 
generally speaking, in that top half from an ESG perspective. So again, it's about being better. It's not being about it's not it's not necessarily being quote unquote perfect, but I think it does make a substantial push towards being invested in companies that have, you know, more, um, you know, more highly rated, you know, environmental and social and government type um, approaches. Um, you know, in terms of performance, we launched them back in January 2020. So obviously, an interesting market and a lot going on. You know, I think one of our thesis, at least from my point of view, is you know, in the past, ESG used to be associated with with negative performance, uh, meaning that you would have to kind of take a performance hit to to, to be good in a sense. Um, and I just don't think that's the case anymore. Um, you know, I think a lot of money and capital, you know, whether it's from individuals or whether it's from governments or other organizations, is actually flowing towards companies with more highly rated ESG projects. You can see money going towards, you know, green energy as an example, or, you know, moving away from companies that have poor ESG records. So, you know, I think the fact that there can be an ESG positive premium uh, to ESG now is, is um, it's a great thing for them. And we have seen outperformance um, across all those three broad markets. Um, Canada, US, and EP have all outperformed since we launched these strategies in January 2020 by about a magnitude of 1% to 2% each. Um, you know, to your point on oil, um, say in the last six months, it's a bit more mixed. We have seen the Canadian ESG underperform the broad Canada by about a percent or two. You know, again, in this environment where oil's rallying, you know, on the, on the back of a reopening trade and optimism, you know, some of those um, companies that may be a little more on the edge in terms of ESG, you know, they tend to be growthier companies, riskier companies. So you're seeing a little bit of underperformance there. But overall, I think you're not seeing a substantial underperformance. And I think, you know, I think that the future looks good for these ESG uh, strategies. You know, a couple other ones that I'd highlight is ZESG. So that's our balanced ESG, 60-40, an asset allocation strategy. And if you look at that and compared to our ZBAL, ZBAL, which is are plain called sorry plain vanilla asset allocation you're seeing outperformance there about 60 beeps to the esg so that one's looking great great and then on the income side obviously with income a challenge zwg uh, so the global high dividend cover call that's a great option for global equity with uh, strong esg integration it's got great performance versus global dividend indexes and in a, in a very healthy 6.7 percent yield so um, yeah, pretty excited about ESG, and I think it can add value for investors, um, you know, not just perhaps aligning to um, their views, and but but also from, you know, from a performance point of view, I think there's a lot of value that can be added here. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And I, I think you nailed it by pointing out that the, that the ESG leaders indexes are sector neutral. So what that means is within energy, we're trying to find the names. Uh, with, with the best ESG scoring as opposed to just eliminating energy altogether. What you typically see is maybe a little bit more of the pipelines uh, than anything else. But certainly uh, by being market aware, that's how you overcome that potential performance hurdle that might be in some clients' minds. So it's a great, uh, great approach to ESG. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. 
Check out episode 62 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at the BMO Clean Energy Index ETF, ticker ZCLN or ZClean. Learn about the global trend that's reshaping energy markets and how easily it can be integrated into your client portfolios with long-term growth objectives. I've got another one for you guys. As an income solution, advisors have enjoyed uh, the pretty pretty incredible rebound performance in high yield with our ZJK and ZHY uh, ETFs. Now, I think most advisors are, are well aware that spreads have tightened the pre-COVID levels. But what should that expectation actually be going forward? Can you look under the hood a bit, comment on defaults, maybe a rising quality factor within high yield, uh, touch on refinancing, and, you know, really come back to us then of, on your go-forward spread expectations. I, I've certainly heard in a couple of conversations uh, that we should expect go-forward tightening because the, because the industry has really already had a little bit of a shakeout. But your thoughts there. Thanks. Sure. So, um, you know, definitely quite the rebound in uh, high yield over the last uh, month, month and a half. Uh, so when you look at ZJK, which is our high yield ETF, uh, it's up about 2.7% uh, this month. Um, a bit of that has been due to currency, but definitely a lot due to uh, spread tightening as well. So uh, when you look at you know high yield spreads where they are right now, I would, I would almost say that they're beyond uh, pre-COVID at this point, right? So when you look at CDX high yield spreads, currently they're around 275 basis points uh, prior to COVID. They typically got, you know, we've always had about 290 basis points before widening back out. Um, so, you know, default rates are, you know, without a doubt, uh, pretty low right now. Uh, they came in at 2.7% in the 12 months ending May. Um, that's a huge improvement when you compare that to a year ago, which I think it was uh, around 6.7%. Um, so a few things to consider here. Um, so even though, you know, we we have gotten quite a shakeout in terms of you know, the triple C, um, lower quality issues in the universe, um, you know, one thing to point out is that, you know, the Fed did announce that they were looking to unwind um, some of their bond ETFs that they acquired uh, during the asset purchase programs over the last year in the wake of COVID. So, you know, the Fed owns about four and a half to five billion in, in U.S. listed corporate bond ETFs. Only about 550 million of that is uh, JNK, which is the, the U.S. listed high yield ETF. Uh, it's not a whole lot, not a little either, but. Um, you know, with spreads already this tight, you know, over the short term, there may not be a, a lot of um, buying activity to offset, you know, that selling activity. So, you know, you could expect spreads to widen a little bit at this point. Um, but, you know, to your point, I think you know, the, the tighter spreads that we've been seeing in the high yield market, I think, are justified, given that the uh, default rates have been lower, um, similar to 2008 uh, during the recession back then, uh, but to a lesser degree this time. Uh, we essentially got, you know, a lot of the weaker hands, a lot of the weaker issuers uh, flushed out of the index or flushed out of the universe. So uh, when you look at the universe as a whole, um, you know, the universe as a whole definitely is a lot, well, better, you know, it's better quality at this point. So, you know, I, I, I do expect, you know, over the short term, the Fed selling could cause spreads to widen about, you know, not a whole lot, but let's call it, you know, 20 to 30 basis points. But given that, uh, the high yield universe is much better quality at this point. Um, if spreads do widen, I, I, I would take that as a buying opportunity uh, for high yield bonds right now. Um, so, you know, right now, when I look at the refinancing of the universe as a whole, 
not a lot of refinancing that has to take place over the next four years. Um, so next year in 2022, only 78 basis points of the index needs to be rolled over. Uh, 2023, it's about 2.4%. Uh, 2024, it's about 5.3%. So over the next three to four years, not a whole lot of refinancing needs to take uh, needs to take place. Um, so that's good for the universe. I don't think that I think that's going to put a lot less stress on the issuers in terms of refinancing needs. It's not until 2025 where 15% of the index needs to be refinanced at that point. So that definitely gives you know, three to four years for the economic uh, recovery to take place uh, before a lot of the issuers have to worry about any kind of refinancing activity. So, um, you know, over the short term, if spreads do tend to widen due to that Fed selling, um, I think ZJK, uh, ZHY, which is the hedge, hedge version, um, I think those are two ETFs that investors may want to look at. ZFH even, which is our floating rate high yield ETF, uh, those three ETFs are something advisors may want to put on their radar. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. At this point, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line for Chris and Alfred. Morning, gentlemen. Thanks for the call. Very insightful as always. Um, just wanted to ask, copper took a pretty big hit last week with the exceptionally high correlation uh, between copper and your base metals ETF ZMT. Can you just give us your thoughts and outlook on copper and ZMT and if you think this is a good trade to enter right now? Thanks. Sure. Um, you know, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, copper did take a hit. Uh, I was on the back of that Fed announcement last week where, you know, as I mentioned, they, they came in more hawkish than the market had anticipated. Um, so the Fed's now signaling that they're going to raise rates uh, twice in 2023. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I think that move was done to, you know, signal to the market that they have inflation under control. Um, so part of the gains that we've seen in, you know, commodities and more specifically base metals you know, over the last couple of months uh, has been due to kind of inflation. A lot of you know, investors are using that as, you know, just as a hedge against, you know, inflationary concerns. A lot of speculative hands as well, just in terms of, you know, long bets that, you know, inflation potentially uh, starts to pick up at this point. Um, but I would say, you know, overall, if you look at the fundamentals of base metals and copper in general, um, a lot of that is, is due to you know, the, the supply and demand imbalances that we've been seeing. Uh, similar to many different industries. Um, so the general thought in terms of, you know, a lot of people uh, looking at uh, base metals, they were just, you know, thinking that the Fed was going to keep monetary policy uh, too, accommodative, too accommodative for, you know, far too long. Uh, so when you look at copper prices and where they were trading last week, it fell about, you know, two, two to two and a half percent during that, you know, Fed meeting on Wednesday. Um, so, I think a lot of that is due to the U.S. dollar strengthening, um, U.S. dollar, you know, solidifying, uh, which tends to be a headwind against, you know, hard assets and, and copper in general. Uh, over the long term, I think, um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I still think it's the supply and demand that drives, um, you know, hard, um, hard assets such as commodities, coppers, you know, higher from here. I think over the short term, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of consolidation in copper over the next two to three months. Um, but, you know, as the economy starts to reopen, there's going to be demand from new housing. There's going to be demand from infrastructure builds, um, especially with that stimulus package. Um, so over the short term, wouldn't be surprised to see some repricing. But over the long term, um, you know, still feeling pretty good about copper and, and ZMT in general. Great. Thanks. 
Hi guys, uh, thanks for the insights for today. Uh, very helpful. Uh, you touched on this a little bit uh, earlier in the call. Uh, the Fed looks to be now thinking about thinking about changes in the policies in support of the market, and we can see this by the volatility that's been created in the market and the movement. Um, it, you did say that'll be would be uh, one way of positioning. Is there anything else you can provide for uh, positioning points? Maybe I'll jump in and uh, just reiterate, you know, Alfred ZLB and uh, ZUQ, so low ball and quality. I think, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you know, as I mentioned, not being greedy, sticking to your asset allocation. I think high level, that's where you want to be on your positioning. Being in high quality stocks or being in, uh, you know, low volatility in Canada, which is in particular hasn't worked out so well for ZLB. I think those are great places to be. Um, but yeah, I think high level, sticking to your asset allocation. You know, equities are going to be the growth component of your portfolio, uh, but at the same time, they're going to, you know, contribute the most risk and you want to have that right number there. You know, in terms of fixed income, not a lot of yield, but you still want it for that capital preservation and, and obviously when equities don't perform. So I think that's the, that's the high level being diversified. We're seeing, you know, some more interest in um, Canadian equities and international equities and, and emerging market emerging market equities as well. So, um, you know, in terms of your equity component, I think be, um, you know, find that right asset allocation, be diversified, and I think um, leaning into quality and uh, low volatility in select regions, I think that's, that's a great position. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, not hearing anything further, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today. We really appreciate you doing so. Thanks for your time. And of course, thanks to both Alfred and Chris some great insights today uh, across markets and timely information that we can bring back to our own conversations. Uh, so really appreciate that. And with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Chris Heeks, Chris McKinney, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about key developing stories in the investment universe, including the rise of ESG investing, the Delta COVID variant, and the outlook for interest rates. Investors also learned why now might be the right time to de-risk with ZLB, our low-volatility ETF, and ZUQ for exposure to high-quality U.S. companies. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.